Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to you, especially if you're a father or a grandfather here today. Happy Father's Day to you if you're a child and you didn't know it was Father's Day, and I might be warning you in just enough time that you could run out and get something for your dad. That'd be nice, trying to make it a special day for him. No matter how or why God brought you here today, the reality is we're just really thankful that you're here. We're going to get to worship together. We're going to take a little break from our study in the book of Galatians because I want to talk about the life of a father in the Bible. And originally I wasn't heading in this direction, but I was praying this week and I was thinking about the number of times that the Apostle Paul references Father Abraham in his letter to the Galatians. And so first I thought maybe we'd just all stand and sing together, you know, the song, Father Abraham. And we do the right arm, and then I remembered I can't sing. And so I decided against that, but I was already focusing on Father Abraham. And, you know, at first glance, Father Abraham doesn't seem like maybe the best dad to talk about on Father's Day, right? You know, some of the top-of-the-mind things that we think about with Father Abraham, he doesn't really look like a, a Hallmark card kind of dad, does he? you imagine the card he'd get from his son Ishmael? Hey, Dad, happy Father's Day. Remember that day you banished me into the wilderness to die? Thanks for all the memories, your son, Ishmael. And that'd be a tough card to get, wouldn't it? What kind of card would he get from Isaac? Hey, Dad, happy Father's Day. Remember that time you took me up on Mount Moriah and you were going to kill me? I'm sure the little pre-printed part of the card would say, Father, thanks for all the sacrifices you've made. So at first glance, maybe Abraham isn't the best choice for subject matter on Father's Day. But, but I was really digging into Abraham's life, and so I didn't stop. I didn't pull up. I just kept digging. And the reality is, we could spend a long time studying Abraham, talking about his character, his life, and really his obedience on his spiritual journey. We could learn a lot from looking at this character. There were times when Abraham just absolutely nailed it. He was incredible. And there were times when he really didn't. And he seemed to not really even learn from his mistakes. If we'd look through all these things, I think the bottom line is we'd come up, Abraham is a good example to look at. He's a good example of the fact that we don't have to try to be perfect because he certainly wasn't. So join me if you would. We're going to look in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, typically called the Faith Hall of Fame. As we look at some verses there, maybe this will give us an ability to change our point of reference for what it looks like for somebody to be a role model, you know, or a shining example. That'll kind of be the question as a backdrop for us. What does a role model look like? So let's read together in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10, and we're going to do some observation here. Author of Hebrews shares this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. By going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, if we're not familiar with the story of Abraham, we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 12 and look at verses 1 to 4 to get the context, to see why we're even referencing Father Abraham here in Hebrews 11. That's, that's the heroes of the faith chapter. How did Abraham get there? According to Hebrews 11, we see Father Abraham's a hero. Why? Look back at Genesis 12 with me. We'll have these on the screens. Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 to 4 explains this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you 
all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So by the time Abraham's story is recorded there in Hebrews chapter 11, a lot of time has passed. And a lot of people have heard this story. And all the readers and all the hearers of this account from the Faith Hall of Fame are now supposed to learn that Abraham's entire life was just a journey of looking forward for a promise that was to come. God makes Abram this promise about a land and a seed and a blessing. And Abraham, throughout his life, trusted God to fulfill that promise. He had uncommon faith in his obedience. His entire life was this huge pilgrimage with these lessons to learn along the way. Think about the ridiculousness of that very first statement, the very first thing that God asks Abraham to do. He says, hey, leave all your stuff and follow me. I have no idea where you're going. I'll tell you when we get there. Think in your life, is there anybody, I mean, anybody in your life that you would obey if they came and asked that of you? Hey, pack up. Let's move. We're heading out. I'll tell you where we're going when we get there. If there is somebody like that in your life, then I seriously hope and pray that you value their friendship because that's what it would take, wouldn't it? To be able to trust somebody enough to be that obedient to that kind of request in your life. Well, the reality is Abraham ends up having that kind of relationship with God and it's because of his obedience. It's why we call him the father of all who profess faith. It's because he has this tremendous example of trusting in God. And so Abraham goes to live in this foreign land. He's a stranger. It's a land that he's later going to receive as an inheritance. But it didn't happen for Abraham while he was alive. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. This is after a review of the fact that the promise to Abraham was that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars. The Scripture shares this in eleven thirteen. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. And the author's referencing Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. He says they all died, but having seen them, the fulfillment of these promises, and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. He's saying they saw the promises in the future, but they died in faith, which actually just means they were living in faith when their bodies died, even though they hadn't seen the promises fulfilled just yet. So Abraham and his contemporaries, they display this amazing faith. And if you remember from last week, we said, as Christ followers, we all have this same opportunity. Because if we professed faith in Jesus Christ, then we know one day we're going to inherit the world. We're going to rule in the new Jerusalem with Jesus Christ as co-heirs of everything that God has. So daily, we need to keep in our mind and continue looking forward to that day. Even when we look around us today, and the circumstances might look bleak. Because that's what the passage indicates that Father Abraham did. It's one of the reasons that he makes it into Hebrews chapter 11. But then Abraham gets even some more love in this Heroes of the Faith account. Jump forward just a few more verses to Hebrews eleven seventeen. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise, it's Abraham, was offering up his only begotten son. Have we heard that language before? It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. Abraham considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back, Isaac back, as a type. So maybe we know the overview of that story, and we'll take a look at it 
in a little more depth in a few minutes. But here Abraham provides us this great example of faith in testing and in trials. Just like God did, Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. And this was the son through whom the blessing had been promised. Now that really seems to contradict the original instructions, doesn't it? But because of his faith, even though there was no way that could have been an easy request, Abraham had the vision to rise above that earthly trial and to trust in something amazing, something we're familiar with because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but which Abraham wouldn't have seen. There's no way he could have seen it, that God has this resurrection power. And the text says that Abraham considered that God can do anything. He can even raise people from the dead. If you think about it, that's incredible faith. Abraham is a good hero to look up to on Father's Day. So we call him, you know, Father Abraham. Do we think of him as role model Abraham? Shining example Abraham. Does does he fit the picture in our head of what we want a hero to look like? Do you do that? I I tend to do that. I read the Bible stories, and I imagine all the guys looking like Russell Crowe in Gladiator or Mel Gibson in Braveheart. I want these jacked, ripped guys who just so happen to quote Scripture. I know I'm not the only person in the world who does this. This is why the Internet blew up when it was announced that Ben Affleck was going to play Batman in the movies. It was like, oh, no, not Ben Affleck. He's not Batman. Of course he's not. I'm Batman. No, (laughs) I'm not Batman. (laughs) Actually, a few days ago, I was mowing with my two oldest boys. We run a little mowing business on the side. And, and I was sweating bullets, and my shirt was just soaked. And, and it was funny. I guess there was a dry spot on the back of my shirt. And my oldest boy, Gavin, told me, hey, it looks like the Batman logo on the back of your shirt. And I said, that's because I'm Batman. And, and Gavin proceeded to tell me all the reasons I couldn't be Batman, <laughs> which I thought was pretty helpful of him. He said, well, you know, you're not a multimillionaire, and, you know, you're married, and you have kids, and only one of your parents is dead, and you're not in very good shape. And Ouch. So I can't be Batman, but apparently neither can Ben Affleck because somehow he doesn't fit this picture in our head of what a hero looks like. Does Abraham fit that picture in our head? Maybe we need to change our image of what a hero looks like. Maybe we need to move away from that notion of somebody who's just so confident and so perfect and so ripped, and we need to think about a guy like Abraham who is totally dependent on God. Now, Jim Cimbala gives a pretty good definition of a hero. He uses a different title. It's a title that I really like. He calls them the deepest believers in his book, Fresh Faith. Here's what he wrote. The deepest believers, think heroes, are the ones who are bent over because they're leaning so heavily into their relationship with God, knowing they can do nothing without utter dependence on Christ. He says the greatest Christian is not the one who's achieved the most, rather the one who has received the most. God's grace, love, and mercy flow through the people the most who walk in total dependence. I love that thought. It's not who achieves the most, it's who receives the most. I desperately want to be a good father, but I know there are times that I'm not. There are times when I'm too focused on other things. There are times when I'm focused on things that are about my selfish comfort. And I love my kids with all my heart, and I still blow it. And here's where God reaches out to me on this. Because even when I do that, they'll still lean in on me. And they'll still hug me. And they'll still tell me they love me. And they say, I'm the best dad ever. They just don't know enough dads. (laughs) 
because I can be pretty lousy. But it's not about what I've achieved. It's about what I've received. And moments like that when the people we love the most will come and see the best in us instead of seeing the worst, those are the moments that make you walk hunched over and dependent on God. Well, that's how Abraham walked. That's the thing that I noticed in my study this week. It's what we're going to focus on, is that Abraham was totally dependent on God. And for him, God wasn't like, you know, a distant, arbitrary figure. God was Abraham's friend. When we think about God, is that one of the character qualities we think about? His friendship? We've been walking through the book of Galatians, and we keep talking about God's grace. When we step back and list all the the character qualities of God, we'll talk about his holiness, his power, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his sovereignty. Do we talk about his friendship? When we talk in Galatians, we're talking about the true gospel, and that's God's plan. We want to be in God's will. When do we get to God's friendship? Father Abraham was God's friend. Do we have friends in this world? People we go to, we call on when things are going rough? Somebody you can just hang out with, spend time with, even when things are going great, just because you enjoy being with them? I'm so blessed. I get to live with my best friends. My wife is easily my best friend. She knows me better than anybody, and she still seems to like me. There's nobody I would rather be with. I love hanging out with my kids. I'm their father. I also want to be their friend. I just have to be their father first. One of my best friends who isn't in my family lives in Texas. God used him in a, a mighty way. He was the one who helped God as he drew me to himself in a saving relationship. My friend David Goss. And we don't see each other much. He lives in Texas. We talk on the phone a lot. But when we talk, we just talk about stuff, you know. It's how you doing. How's your job? How's your family? How's your walk with the Lord? Talk a lot about sports. I follow the Dallas Cowboys and the Texas Rangers just a little bit so I can stay in the conversation with David. Right after the Cleveland Browns drafted Johnny Menzel, the first text I got was from David. He follows the Browns a little bit so we can stay on on track. I got a phone call from him a couple weeks ago, and it was a tough call. He'd been working for a parachurch ministry, and they kept expanding his region to the point where it was physically impossible for him to do his job, travel all over this area. And when he questioned the wisdom behind it, they fired him. They let him go. So now he's out of a job. He's got a kid in college, another one on the way. It's a tough time for him. So he called, and we talked, because I'm his friend. It's good to have friends. Look at these scripture references up on the screens with me. Did you know there's three different times that Abraham's friendship with God is mentioned in the Bible? The first is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7. Here a guy named Jehoshaphat prays. He says, Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 8, this is as God is encouraging Israel through the prophet. Isaiah says this. He says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I've chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. And these references are both echoed in the New Testament in James chapter 2 and verse 23 where James explains this. He says, And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's a direct quote from scripture. And he was called the friend of God. 
So three different times that Abraham's relationship with God is mentioned, and he's called God's friend. And the neat thing is, the relationship is never addressed that way in the narrative. When, when we hear Abraham's story in Genesis, Abraham isn't called God's friend then. So the later writers of Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, must have heard about Abraham in that way. Oh, Abraham, oh yeah, he was God's friend. He kind of earned this reputation. There's an author named Frederick Buckner. He wrote this about the relationship between God and Abraham and how it must have transpired for folks to remember that about him. Remember, Abraham is God's friend. He wrote, friendship is something that God and Abraham did together. Abraham and God met together for the sake of meeting, just enjoying each other's company. That's a nice description, I think. Friends are the people that we choose to make part of our life. We have lots of people who have to be part of our lives. We have our coworkers, and you got that crazy uncle at the family reunion. You know who he is. You, know, you kind of have to be with them. But friends are the people that you want to be with. And when you meet, anything can happen, or nothing at all can happen, because you can just be together. Only the meeting really matters. I have some friends that I have really serious discussions with. I've got a lot of friends who like to talk theology. I've got a lot of friends who like to talk sports. I've got friends that I meet with, and we talk about parenting issues and, and how to be good spouses. And, and it's funny, when I'll go meet with those guys, especially some of the guys I disciple, when I come back, Christina will always ask, what do you guys talk about? That's like a girl question. You know, what do you guys talk about? And I always say, well, we solved all the world's problems. But that's not what we did. <laughs> we didn't do anything weighty like that. We were just hanging out. We were just talking because we're friends. Christina has a friend she does this with, one of her dearest friends, and she's getting ready to move. And so Christina's sad, and she should be because of that relationship. But about once a month or so, they make time to just go hang out, and all they do is sit and talk. They did this a couple months ago, and they went out to a restaurant, and I know the restaurant closed at 10 o'clock, and it came to be a little after 10, and Christina still wasn't home. So I texted her to see if she's okay. She's like, yeah, we got one more thing we need to talk about. And so I tried to wait up on her. It was like midnight when she got home. I was like, what did you do? She goes, we sat in the car and talked. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you talk about. But here's the reality. We need friends. Do we get this? God's word says that Father Abraham was God's friend. They hung out. And the amazing thing that I thought about this week as I studied was the reality that all of Abraham's life was kind of lived in this gap. We said earlier, Abraham never saw God's promise fulfilled in his lifetime. So it wasn't like Abraham was hanging out with God because of all the stuff God was doing for him. There was this huge gap between the promise God had made and what Abraham saw all around him in his day-to-day -day life. Now, this is embarrassing to admit, but when I'm in that gap, I really struggle. Because I believe God is my friend, I really do, but when I don't see him come through in exactly the way I want him to, sometimes I... I throw a tantrum. Sometimes I grumble and complain. This happened to me just last week on the day that Gavin and Carson found out that I was Batman. That day, my two oldest boys and I mowed 15 yards together, which is to say they mowed 15 yards and I carried a weed eater for eight hours. And I knew that if we were going to get these yards done, I had to have my weed eater working just perfectly. And it had been giving me some trouble. So the night before, I went out and bought a new replacement head for my weed eater. It's a little $25 residential replacement head. 
And I put it on, and that morning as we drove to the first job, I prayed. We prayed together, and I prayed specifically for my weed eater. Is that weird? I was just sure God was going to hear my prayer, and everything would just work out perfectly. But that's not what happened. My weed eater was a little fussy that day. And on the 11th yard, the string wouldn't advance anymore. So I had to stop for about 30 minutes and, and fix it. And, and I got to the 13th yard, and basically it just disintegrated. <laughs> like my weed eater head just fell apart from the bottom down. And I was mad. And so God and I had to talk about it. Now, before you start questioning my wisdom in buying a $25 replacement weed eater head to run for eight hours in a row, just remember, I prayed about this. <laughs> I asked God to supernaturally protect my weed eater. And when he didn't, I got upset. And the most embarrassing part of the story is I got upset with God. <laughs> and I called his love and care and concern for me into question. I wondered why he would give me this trial when I'm trying to do this thing to help my boys earn some money. I don't make any money on the moment. I pay them everything. Why would he give me this trial? I didn't ask, what are you trying to teach me, God? I just got mad. Now, I don't know about you, but at times like that, Scripture will really beat me up. And so I'm studying later in the week in this context of explaining that we won't be able to truly see God while we're here on this earth. I found the Apostle Paul says this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. This was a good reminder for me this week. Paul says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's why Abraham's such a good example to look at today, because that's what he did. He lived his whole life looking in faith to the future, not by sight and the things that he could see around him. He never saw the promise fulfilled. He just kept looking for it. Of course, that's the real definition of faith, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I'm not Batman, but I'm clearly not Abraham either. There I am, weed-eating. This one thing goes wrong. My weed-eater blows up, and I start complaining. And if I'm totally honest and I tell the whole story, my beautiful wife had already planned on buying me a new weed-eater for Father's Day. So the culmination of my temper tantrum with God is that I ended up getting this brand-new weed-eater a week early. We got all the yards done that day. I truly had nothing to complain about, but I did. One thing doesn't go the way I asked God to have it go, and all of a sudden I'm questioning God because I want to walk by sight, not by faith. And so I'm studying Abraham this week and just getting beat up. Wow, how does he do it? When Abraham and God are hanging out, how is he not asking all the time, Hey, God, about that promise you made, you remember where you said I'd have descendants as numerous as the stars? How's that coming? Are you working on that? And you said there'd be land and a blessing. Are, are things progressing there? You got any traction with that? See, but we don't see Abraham do that, do we? Because Abraham trusted in God's friendship. He knew that God had made a promise, and he had faith that God was going to keep that promise. Can you imagine what our world would look like if all Christ followers everywhere walked around living in that truth? One of the tougher verses in all of Scripture to apply is in Romans 8, 28. Paul says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But I walk around saying, See, God, if you'd just given me a new weed eater before my old weed eater blew up, then I'd be okay. Then I'd trust you. 
Sometimes I can't see how all things are going to work out together for good. And so instead of walking by faith, I walk around grumbling about what I can see. And the most embarrassing part, the worst part of this story is I know the remedy. Every now and again, God blows me up. He blesses me, and I get it. I don't have to grumble because when I draw close to God, when I abide in him, I don't struggle with walking in my faith. Do we know that God's explained that to us? This big old love letter we all carry called the Bible. He's made a promise to us in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. It says this, You will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And it's not like God's tried to make this hard on us. God has initiated this kind of relationship with us. He wants us to seek after him. God revealed himself to Abraham. He revealed himself to the patriarchs and to the prophets. God personally led the Israelites through the wilderness. He was a cloud by day. He was fire by night. He wants us to seek him. His ultimate invitation into friendship and fellowship was in sending his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to pay the price for our sin so that anyone who puts their faith in him can become God's children. And then to seal that, his presence with us, he sent his indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want this to be hard. He wants to initiate this relationship with us. He wants to be our friend. How much do we trust that? Because it's the truth. My buddy David, he goes to a church down in Texas, and Bill Brewer's the pastor, and he tells a story about a father and a daughter that are in that congregation. This tremendous story that highlights what our lives could look like if we'd fully grasp how much we can trust in God's friendship. This father in the story shows the kind of boldness and confidence we could live in if we just rest in God's faithfulness. This guy is, by profession, somehow a dealer in iniquities, rare, fine china, table settings and antique collectibles and things like that. But this guy, his hands and his arms are deformed because in the Vietnam War, he almost died. He took the full brunt of an explosion. When he came home from the war, people looked at him differently. They treated him differently. He'd been a star athlete in his area before he'd gone into the war. People recognized him as a hero before he went to go serve his country. But he came back changed. And because of this deformity, he said people would look at him differently. Or sometimes they wouldn't even look at him at all. But his daughter tells part of the story. She said after he returned from the war, his father gave his life to Christ. He decided to just surrender and to live the rest of his life trusting in God. And she remembers a journal entry that he wrote where he said he's going to make his arms and his hands trophies for God. And so he starts this business that he'd have no business doing with these misshapen claw-like appendages. He handles this fine china. And folks began to focus less on his disability and more on God. And he found himself focusing so much more on God and, and noticing the man God had made him to be. Daughter was born. She says all she ever remembered him doing with his damaged hands, his misshapen arms, was hugging her and telling her that he loved her. And so he lived this amazing life, all the glory going to God. They serve in the church. And late in his life, this father goes to see the doctor, and he's given some harsh news. The doctor said, you only have three months to live. It's going to be painful and an awful death. But his reaction was so calm and so peaceful, his daughter questioned if he'd actually heard the doctor right. And so she went to him and she said, Dad, 
did you understand what the doctor said? And he looked at her and he said this. He said, honey, I could have died a long time ago back in the war. So I'm not going to worry today about a doctor telling me I've only got three months to live. He said, I'm alive now. So I'm going to live every minute I can trusting in God's love and his faithfulness to me. I'm not going to spend one minute worrying about dying. And so he didn't. Three weeks later, he got a letter from the hospital. He'd been misdiagnosed. Somehow they'd mixed up his records with somebody else, and they apologized in the letter because they didn't want to get sued. But the daughter said her dad just laughed. He wasn't angry. In fact, he stopped right then to pray for the other guy who was going to receive this horrible news. And what he said to her was this. He said, I'm glad I didn't waste even one day worrying about that. As Christ followers, we're supposed to live our lives believing in what we can't see. God's plan for us in the future. I want to live like that guy. I want to live like Father Abraham did. Because if you think about it, if Abraham just trusted in what he could see around him, his bleak circumstances, he would have been demoralized. But instead, he kept looking to the future for this promise from God and his friendship with God. He trusted in the God that he couldn't physically see more than the visible circumstances around him that he could see. Abraham's a great example for us today. Let me close with just a couple more things that stood out to me about Abraham as a hero of the faith because I think God is so intentional in this encounter. Father Abraham, as God's friend, has an exchange with his nephew Lot in Genesis chapter 13. Abraham and his whole clan have to go off to Egypt because of a famine in the land. And then as they return, and this is right after Abraham blows it, he has a real low point where he lies to Pharaoh about Sarah being his sister. But now they're coming back into the land, and they've got a lot of stuff. Abraham was ridiculously blessed, and Lot also has a lot of stuff. And and so Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen, they're arguing. Because they say, hey, this land we're going into, it can't support both of us. So Abraham's proactive. And he says to Lot in Genesis 13, verses 8 and 9, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. He says, For we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Abraham's a good guy here. Is this how we settle disagreements today? By just letting somebody have their way? By submitting? Ouch. That's what Father Abraham does. And Lot says, okay, I'll take the good-looking land. I'll take the fertile land that led up to Sodom and Gomorrah, which even though it was fertile, led to his eventual downfall. And Lot leaves Abraham with what must have looked like West Texas in late August. Just a bunch of dry brush and swirling winds. Can you imagine Abraham leading his folks into camp into this desolate, dusty region on this hard, cracked earth? And here's when God shows up, and he gives Abraham a unique picture, I think, of the future in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 16. Abraham's friend shows up, and he says, hey, remember the promise I made? You want a neat visual? Check this out. I'll make your descendants as the what? Dust of the earth, which is where Abraham was. He says, so that if anybody can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. You can imagine Abraham sitting there in a dust storm. All around him, all he can see is dust, but no descendants. 
that point in time, things have got to be bleak. And Abraham's friend shows up and says, no, you can trust in the promise. And you move forward just a few chapters later. In Genesis 16, here's Sarah. It's Abraham's wife. She's declared barren. She can't have any children. So now Abraham's sitting in a dry, infertile land, and he's sitting with an infertile wife. How on earth could Abraham's circumstances be any worse? You almost can't blame Abraham for following Sarah's advice, trying to take a shortcut. Sarah tries to help God out a little bit by offering her maidservant Hagar to Abraham so that he could still be the father of a great nation. But it turns out God doesn't need Sarah's help. We're called to be obedient, not try to talk God into following our plans. So Ishmael is born of Hagar when Abraham is about 86 years old. But Ishmael is not the son of the promise that God made to Abraham. God's going to fulfill that promise on his own. He doesn't need help from Hagar or anybody. And so finally Isaac is born. When Abraham is 100 years old, think about it, this is 25 years after God had made that promise. And finally now there's a visible sign that the promise is going to be fulfilled. Abraham has a descendant. This is the long-awaited proof that God could be trusted. And then God tells his friend, Abraham, to sacrifice his son. Can you imagine? Now, the timing is a little tricky. Not that it would have been easier to do if Isaac had been a baby. But, but here's what happens. Here's the first visible sign that God can be trusted, and now God asks to have him back. There's lots of theologians and commentators that will explain Isaac would have had to have been at least a teenager to be able to perform the work that was required of him on that trip to Mount Moriah. He had to carry the wood. There's some commentators say Isaac was over 30 years old when that happened. To me, how old Isaac was is not that big a deal. What is incredible from my perspective is that Abraham is obedient. He's willing to do it. I mean, this is a real test. This defies logic. This is one of those things, well, sure, it's easy to say you trust, but will you trust and obey? And Abraham trusts and obeys. As a matter of fact, the text says he got up and had an early start the next morning. Now, this is just me, and I'm reading this into it, I know, but, but I think it's because he was up all night. I think Abraham's 110, 120, 130 years old, and I think he's up chopping wood all night and grumbling, but that could just be me. I think he's swinging the axe and saying, descendants as numerous as the stars, I've got one. You want me to go kill him? You know, I, th I think he's just really enjoying him some wood chopping time and talking with the Lord. And somewhere in that trial, some point in time when he's up all night, I think Abraham's friend reveals to him the thing we see in Hebrews chapter 11. Somehow in that, Abraham gets this sneak peek of resurrection. And so Abraham's obedient. And he takes the journey. He climbs the mountain, and he binds his son. And just as he's prepared to show, I do trust you, Lord, we see this in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. Angel of the Lord shows up, and he says, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Man, that's obedience. God showed me something brand new this week. Don't you love it when God does that for you when you're studying? I'm walking through the life of Abraham. I'm trying to determine if he's worthy of teaching about on Father's Day. Is Abraham a good example of a hero of the faith? 
And I was reminded as I was reading of this fact that Abraham must have somehow learned about the resurrection. He had to have some inside knowledge of what God can do. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can raise people from the dead. And I'd missed this verse before. Look real quickly at John chapter 8, verse 56. We'll have this on the screen. In context, this is Jesus fighting with some Jewish people who are real accusatory. And Jesus references our hero, Father Abraham. He says this, Your father Abraham, what? Rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And somehow I'd missed sticking those things together before. When did Abraham see Jesus' day? It was during this trial. It was during this test from God to gauge his obedience. Now somehow, and I'm certainly not sure how this happened, but somehow, from the divine Father's heart, who would know what it was like to sacrifice a son to a human father's heart. From one friend to another, God showed Abraham what the resurrection was going to be like. And John indicates Abraham saw it and he was glad. What an understatement. Here's our application. Do our plans always go the way that we hope? Or do we have trials and struggles, and sometimes it looks like our life is going on a totally different track than what we'd signed up for. We look at the circumstances in our life. Do they lead us to think that God's really with us? Or we wonder, has God just left us out in the cold? See, when trials come, that's a really good time to remember Father Abraham. Because Father Abraham reminds us on Father's Day or any other day, What we need is a relationship with God. What we've talked about the last two weeks in our study in Galatians, God is enough. Christian Rager was a chaplain. He survived years of torture in a prison camp, and then he became a chaplain to help others who suffered and struggled. He has this amazing quote as we close that makes me think of Father Abraham. Rager said this, People say that a man can undergo torture He knows the why of his life. But I learned something far greater. I learned to know the who of my life. God is the who of my life. He was enough to sustain me while I was still in the prison camp, and he's enough to sustain me still. Now, the joy of closing our service with communion today. Communion is an incredible privilege. For those who are Christ followers, we get this opportunity as an ordinance from God to pause, examine our hearts, confess our sins, and spend time with him. Scripture says we can be right with him. But during this time, what we do is we draw close to God in relationship and hang out with our friend. If you're new here at Cape Bible Chapel, the elements are on the tables around the room, and Jeff's going to come and play some music, and you'll have some time to respond. Have some time to do those things that Scripture says. And, and, and certainly, remember, this is the Lord's Supper. It's not Cape Bible Chapel Supper. If you're a believer, this is for you. But as we spend that time before we worship and, and have some announcements, I hope that we will stop and remember Father Abraham. Remember what a shining example he really is. Remember how obedient he is. And remember that he truly modeled walking by faith, not by sight. Happy Father's Day to you. Let me pray for you. Father God, thanks. We love you. 
we don't have our fathers with us or we're not close with our fathers, we have the opportunity on Father's Day to remember you are our daddy if we profess faith in your son. God, I thank you for the example of Father Abraham. We are not supposed to be in the business of comparing, but man, when I compare myself to him, I fall so short. I grumble and complain about the things I can see instead of putting my trust fully in you. God, convict me of that. Lord, help us walk in a way where we can see the promises for the future. God, those would be the things that would encourage us, inspire us to trust in your friendship. God, we love you so much. Thank you for this church body and the opportunity to study. We lift the bread and the cup to you. We ask all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.